Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. This is episode 39 and another episode about talking shop, which is where we talk about the writing tools that we are using to help improve our craft. And like all of these short episodes, we're going to jump straight into it. So Sarah, what's your tool of the month this month? I struggled a lot with time this month and that will probably still be apparent in our next episode when we have (laughs) our writing update because I feel like things have just ground to an absolute halt. Oh dear, that's okay though. So I was trying to think of what I was going to do for the writing tool this month and I had a look on YouTube. I must admit I did not go fully into depth. However, I did find an interesting channel And that channel was by the name of Outstanding Screenplays. So while I would love to have a masterclass subscription or something like that to listen to famous authors talk about their work and their process, this kind of struck me as a good alternative for maybe people like me who look at the masterclass subscription and are like, yeah, I can't really afford that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I can't reason another subscription because if you're anything like me and my husband you already pay for like a billion subscriptions (laughs) so yeah I had a look at this channel and it has a bunch of interviews with famous authors on it it is kind of taken from like they'll do say Stephen King and It'll be from like a bunch of different interviews that's kind of like merged together to give you like 10 tips from Stephen King or something like that. Okay. And, you know, like they're not super short, so you can get like a sense of what each writer is saying in each kind of segment of the video that they've created. But it is really interesting to sort of see these famous writers' ideas behind things and their process and what they find works for them. I did find it's very subjective as you would expect, I guess, peering into another author's process. Mm -hmm. Stephen King's, I mean, I've read his book and I found, as we've discussed in another Talking Shop episode, I found his book immensely helpful. But some of the writing tips that I saw on this um, Stephen King's video, I didn't completely gel with. And I was like, hmm. I don't really think that's me in terms of whether it would be helpful to me, but I did find, I started watching one by George R.R. Martin and I felt like I kind of synced a bit better with the way that he does (laughs) stuff, Um, which is interesting because I haven't, people are going to hate me for this, but (laughs) I, I have not read his books and I've probably only watched like one or two seasons of Game of Thrones. Well, I'm similar. I've watched season one of Game of Thrones. I have read one and a half of his books, but also people are going to hate me because I strongly disliked it. So 
yeah sorry game of thrones fans <laughs> but i got a bit bored in his books so i i had good intentions i was like i'm gonna read all his books and then i'm gonna watch the series so I read the first one it was all right got halfway through the second one and i was like oh aria why are you so boring i can't handle you like <laughs> traipsing around the country any longer and then i gave up well i feel so. <laughs> Even if we don't necessarily gel with his writing or his work, which I think I could gel with it. It's just that, I don't know, I just haven't really tried for, well, I know the books are pretty hefty for starters. Yeah. So, you know, you're committing a lot of time if you decide to start that series. <laughs> Same with watching the show, though, because the show yes, a lot is of true. seasons, a lot this of episodes as well. I haven't had the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I did find his tips very useful and One in particular was about creating conflict with characters and creating situations for each character that would be their worst nightmare in order to challenge the character's views and advance the storyline, which I completely agree with. Yeah, it probably helps because his books are also like multi-perspective. So it probably like fits quite well with what we do. This is true. And I don't enjoy putting our characters through hard situations, but I don't know. I also... Maybe I get like an overall enjoyment out of the sense that I'm creating like a really good arc through the book Mm -hmm. and I know they're going to come out the other side of it and be stronger for it. I kind of get enjoyment out of that, but I don't enjoy them going through it necessarily. Yeah. But then I'm like, yes, let's do this. Let's put them in this awful situation. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Well, the best overall. Yeah. So it's okay. (laughs) So I I agreed with that. And um, he also talked about writing needing to reflect realism, which is one of the reasons he discussed as to why so many characters were killed off in Game of Thrones. (laughs) is because he felt that death is a part of life. And considering the rules and the setting he placed his characters in, he wanted it to be consistent with that and not give any character special treatment. I love that. Yeah. Good on him. And I, yeah, I think we definitely do the same in our novels where we're like, <laughs> we do. anyone could die at any moment. <laughs> it's like, you think that this is a main character, but that doesn't mean they're safe. <laughs> That's one of James's main comments when he talks to people, like when he, he was talking to Mel about her proofing it for us. And he's like, no one's safe. <laughs> they just kill characters left, right, and center. You won't see it coming. <laughs> I, think, I mean, we do put thought into it. It's not like it's yeah. all over they, the show. but No, but <laughs> it's, I think, quite realistic for how the situation would play out. It is probably quite unpredictable. Yeah. And I think that creates an uncertainty for the readers if they believe that any character can be killed it makes the stakes a lot higher rather than having, you know, you have your one main character and you're like, well, they're going to get through this because they're the main character and otherwise the story doesn't work. (laughs) And that's also a benefit of the multi-perspective because your story can work even if a main character dies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I guess that's one of the flaws they usually say about having first person mm. usually the character the character whose perspective it's from is going to survive or otherwise how could they have told you the story but with ours or with multi-perspective ones who knows <laughs> <laughs> there's other people that can tell the story yeah 
Um, but so that was my uh, tool of the month, which again, the channel was called Outstanding Screenplays. And they've got like a number of different authors. They've got JK Rowling. They've got screenplay masters as well. So like Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, George Lucas. So, I mean, like it's got stuff on screenwriting, but then also authors as well. There's a lot there. I will definitely be reading, I mean, watching more of these. (laughs) (laughs) It's going great. Sorry, everyone. Not prepared this week. I'm sure everyone can forgive you. Flying by the seat of my pants. (laughs) But (laughs) let's have a much more coherent talk about a useful writing resource from Ashley now. (laughs) Well, I hope it's going to be more coherent, but you get to deal with me having, I, on what day was it? Yesterday, I got home at 2am after doing some extra work. Our shoot was meant to go till 11pm. We finished at 1.30 and it was 45 minutes out in the hills. So I had to come all the way back. So I was pretty tired, but it was enjoyable. And then last night, we started watching a movie, which I thought was an hour and a half. It was almost three and a half hours. Oh my God. So I'm a bit tired, but we will see how this goes. So after last time's talking shop where I reviewed a research article, I got quite a lot of very good feedback from it. So I thought I would do it again, but this time I took a different tact. I thought that I would talk a little bit about genre and because Sarah and I kind of had this problem when we were trying to classify what genre our book is. We were looking into YA dystopian fiction. We're trying to decide whether it fit into that genre. And in the end, we kind of just decided that, yep, I guess it does based on the fact that there's very loose definitions of it and it kind of seemed to fit. So the article I've chosen today is about uh, YA dystopian fiction. So I thought we could have a little chat about that paper, which is pretty interesting and offers some really good insight into how they're structured and the elements that make them work. So the article for today is a creative exploration and analysis of contemporary dystopian fiction by Manera Eze, and it's from the Journal Writing and Practice, Volume 14, 2018. I'm excited for another lecture. I know. This is lecture time with Ashley. Many lectures. You get to This is basically what it sounds like when I lecture at uni. Although, to be fair, I'm slightly more prepared for these ones, um, mostly because I don't have slides (laughs) to jog my memory. (laughs) Although you might say my slides aren't particularly useful. Well, they are useful. I just don't put a lot of information on them because I like the students to have to come to class (laughs) or listen to me talk. Right. Anyways, so the author of this paper, Manera Eze, she says that the aim of her paper is to highlight the elements in the openings of YA dystopic novels. And she uses The Hunger Games, Divergent and The Maze Runner to help writers find out what the core elements are that make these books so popular and appealing. So I found this quite interesting. The paper starts off with defining what dystopian fiction is, why the teenage audience is so appropriate for it. And then it goes into the important elements in the beginning like the first few chapters of YA dystopian fiction. So I thought I'd just kind of run through that to give you guys a good overview of what she talked about. So as I alluded to before, she also found it difficult to define what dystopian fiction was, especially in a YA context. She talked about a lot of different meanings that people attribute to dystopian fiction. So 
broadly, she says it involves a quote unquote non-existent society. And I was like, that is fairly broad. (laughs) (laughs) And in dystopian literature uh, in particular, these novels rely on futures in which utopian societies have failed. However, that doesn't encompass all YA dystopian literature. That's just a proportion of them tend to have that aspect to it, but not all of them. I was going to ask what she meant by non-existent society, actually. Does she mean like a fictional, like an entirely fictional society, or does she mean? No, she means it could even be like the the ideals of a society that don't exist. So it's like a society that doesn't exist on our world like right now, but could exist or is like an entirely different place. Okay. That makes any sense. Yeah. So like very broad yes. definition of it. And eventually this discussion about what dystopian fiction is lasts, I think it's four pages while she tries to like tease it out, but eventually settles on a commonly agreed upon definition, which is Why a dystopian fiction not only portrays a dark future, but more importantly, highlights the deterioration of a political structure. Therefore, dystopian settings are built upon the author's world's imperfections and are created to be considerably worse than our own. So that, in the end, was the definition for why a dystopian fiction she came up with. And I actually think our book fits that quite well. That's what I was thinking. So I was like, well, at least I think we've classified it as best as we can in the correct yeah. genre so that made me happy I guess well because we had quite a hard time going through all the different genres trying to pick we definitely did because originally we we're like oh maybe it's action adventure but then action adventure wasn't quite right because it kind of and you're like survival story and then you're like but it's not like you know against the environment or something and then you're you're kind of thinking well, okay, is it a thriller? Well, it's elements <laughs> of that, but horror, mm, not. <laughs> it was it was tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so we set it on dystopian, and I think that's the right fit for it. I think so um, too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so then Izzy goes on to talk about why the trend for dystopic fiction is to target younger audiences rather than older audiences. So she used classical examples of dystopian fiction, like uh, 1984, for example, which is mm-hmm. more targeted to an adult audience, whereas a lot of the novels today are targeted towards teenagers. So she kind of seems fairly obvious but she says that she thinks it's because the vulnerability of that age group leads to more engaged reading which I think I would agree with yeah I think it's things that we've talked about before is that you know at the age of an adolescent you're sort of setting up your beliefs for later life and so you're questioning all of these things already and so it kind of dives deeper into that questioning in some ways right Yes, yes, I think I agree. She, uh, Izzy, describes that young readers have an enhanced connection with the characters and are living similar experiences to them at that age. Just Mm -hmm. in the book, there are obviously more (laughs) pronounced and larger issues, but it's the same kind of smaller issues that normal teenagers face. It's the same universal truth. Yeah, yeah. Another interesting thing she did point out was that with these new dystopic fiction novels, they tackle a lot of other themes rather than just political degradation, which I found quite interesting as well. So it's not just 
about the dystopic setting. It also has strong themes like rebellion or romance, hope, feminism, other themes like that as well, which make it a lot more appealing. Self-identity. Yeah, (laughs) self-identity. Lots and lots of other themes, which helps to really engage the readers. So it's like, oh, at least our book has that too. (laughs) Yeah. Not just political degradation or a dystopic society, but a lot of other themes, which we talked about in our theme episode. I feel like it would be hard to write a young adult book without some element of those themes coming through, which is potentially why as well, you know, they make such good dystopic fiction because, you know, they're questioning the power structure, but then that also has an effect on like how their own self is developing, Mm -hmm. um, like the characters in the book. I agree. Yeah, it sort of just leans itself Mm. really well into the young adult genre. So she then goes on to identify two very important elements uh, in YA dystopic fiction that are critical to the book pretty much working, working well. And those, they seem quite obvious, but also at the same time, I understand why she's highlighted them as important elements in this type of literature. So she highlights character and the beginning. So character, it seems obvious. And she even quotes, uh, she has a quote in there that without character, there is no story. And I was like, that is very true. But for this genre in particular, she says that the character is the primary element the reader identifies with. So I have another quote from her article where she says, fans strive to be the hero they see represented. So I think that's a big well, she says it's a really big part of the dystopic literature is having characters that are quote unquote heroes, but the readers end up developing a lot of empathy towards them because of their victimization in the world. And mm-hmm. they have to overcome a whole, all the obstacles and whatever else is thrown at them. And then the readers sympathize with their efforts. So this seems to be in all of the books that she went through. So Hunger Games, Maze Runner and Divergent their protagonist was like this in all of them so I was like, it's probably fair and I think ours are very similar to yeah our characters where they have a lot to overcome and they're definitely victimized but they do end up being quote-unquote heroic <laughs> yes yeah so that was the first part that was essential and the other part was the beginning and I found this very interesting because she said that pretty much all dystopic fiction um, aimed at young adults follows the same like blueprint for the opening of the book so there's three key parts in the beginning so the first is the life-changing day and apparently this usually happens well it is the first chapter where readers are introduced to the event that has the greatest impact on the characters lives so we did that thankfully (laughs) yeah unintentionally well actually changed it as well so it ended up being does it always happen in the first chapter did she say for the three that she followed yes it happened in the first chapter so in the maze runner they're in the maze (laughs) okay i'm just thinking in terms of john marsden's series which remember i can't remember if i i don't know that we've discussed this on the podcast but i've written like a short review on it and I think probably the main criticism of the first book is that it's a bit slow to start because Mm. the actual life-changing event as you say doesn't happen until the 
I think it's the fifth chapter, which is yeah. fairly far on in the book, really. Yeah, so in, well, because she just did Hunger Games Divergent and The Maze Runner. So in The Hunger Games, in the first chapter, there is a sentence that says, this is the day of the reaping. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Divergent series, there is a sentence that says, today is the day of the aptitude test. Uh, and in The Maze Runner, the protagonist, uh, it begins with the protagonist arriving at the maze. So, Right, yes. Yeah, and it says, welcome to the glade. Interesting. Yeah, so, well, at least in those three, which I guess are a big three. So Yeah, <laughs> I haven't, I've read the other two, but not Maze Runner. So that was part one. Part two is that it is almost or pretty much always in first person, uh, which is important because it highlights the protagonist's individuality and emphasizes the characters in a conflict and emphasizes their decisions, which enables readers to connect with them more, which makes mm-hmm. total sense at why first person is that they're mostly all in first person. And we've noticed that too with our book as well, I think, that the first person narrative really helps <laughs> bring yes. out a lot of the characters in the struggles. It would be a completely different book if it was third person. And I think that would be the completely wrong decision for that book. So I, I agree. I agree. You just wouldn't get the same depth. Yes. And the final thing is that the key characters are usually all introduced within the first few chapters, which ours also does. <laughs> yeah. You may not. Yeah. So she says you may not know the like purpose of the characters or you may not be aware that all of the characters are going to be used later on, but that the characters have all been introduced at some point, um, which I found quite interesting, which we sort of do as well for the most part. Yeah. So I thought I'd just finish with, her one of her quotes from like her reflection on her paper because I thought it was summed it up really well so she says not all the dystopian fiction follows these rules so tightly however these few elements seem to be repeated through the mainstream contemporary YA genre the repetition of these elements create a familiarity that readers recognize and come back to with the satisfaction of predictability. The knowledge that they will find a hero who is willing to risk everything, even if they don't have much to begin with. That the hero will fight against all odds to protect everything they love, and when it comes down to it, fight for the good of everyone. Quite liked that. Nice yeah. summary <laughs> of <laughs> what readers want from dystopic fiction, um, and I guess all the things that this these books hit. <laughs> to satisfy yep. the reader there was one other thing that I thought I would mention uh, buried in there she the author poses a very interesting problem for writers to think about so she says producing critical dystopias is becoming more difficult so this is not to say that dystopian fiction is dying but rather that to create original content with accuracy presents a new challenge it's one of those a lot of it's been done before so being able to have a new take on it is becoming more and more difficult. That's interesting. Yeah. So maybe ours will be a new take on it. <laughs> Hopefully people may have learned something from my analysis of this paper, um, or at least I've learned a little, I find it hard to find very specific genre related uh, like books and things. So I found it really interesting that I could find an article about uh, contemporary YA dystopic fiction. So hopefully you all got something from it too. Yeah, it was very interesting. So should we move on to what we're reading in our 
leisure time <laughs> leisure <quotation> marks. <laughs> yep. Sarah, what is your book from this month? So I have managed to actually read a book, which is about the only thing I managed. <laughs> um, the book I read is another young adult fiction book. It's called When We Were Lost by Kevin Wigner. And it's a story about a group of teens who are the only survivors in a plane crash in the jungle. And I thought I'd just read the blurb out. So when their plane crashes in a remote rainforest with no adults left alive, a group of high school students struggles to survive against sinister threats from the jungle and one another in this tense thriller. Tom Callaway didn't want to go on a field trip to Costa Rica, but circumstances had him ending up sitting in the back part of the plane, which was the only part that was intact after the crash in the remote South American wilderness. Tom and a small group of his classmates are fortunate to be alive, but their luck quickly runs out when some of them fall prey to the unfamiliar threats of the jungle, animals, reptiles, insects, and even the unforgiving heat. Every decision they make could mean life or death. As the days go by and the survivor's desperation grows, things get even more perilous. Not everyone can cope with the trauma of seeing their friends die and a struggle for leadership soon pits them against each other. And when they come across evidence of other people in the middle of the rainforest, does that mean they're safe or has their survival come to an even more vicious end? So that was what I've been reading. <laughs> Sounds very Lost-esque. It is quite. It's like a teenage version of Lost. <laughs> Without all of the weird supernatural yeah. stuff. My, it, well, it's, probably because it's not a dream. <laughs> it stays grounded in reality and it's... It's quite well done, like, in terms of the personalities that are within the group, I think. Like, it it brings um, conflict with the, the survivors and the, the types of characters that they have in that group rather than just using, like, the threat of the environment or just using, um, like, outside forces and outside groups or people. But it's... Yeah, I felt it was very realistically done and, well, as far as a plane crash in the middle of a wilderness can be. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, I don't I don't want to say that it, I mean, it could happen. It's a bit scary to think about, but it could happen. It wasn't outside the realms of possibility. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's the second book that I've read recently that's, like, referenced the um, Malaysian plane getting lost ah yeah because it kind of used that as I don't don't want to say used because that sounds really terrible but it just referenced that as like a bringing in context of like you know things like this do happen kind of yeah like yeah it wasn't like it was done in a unsensitive manner or anything yeah (laughs) but yeah I was also reading recently well I've been reading it for a long time and I finally finished (laughs) You might remember several talking shops ago, I was talking about J.K. Rowling slash Robert Galbraith's books, and I was reading Mm -hmm. the most recent one, Troubled Blood, and she makes reference to it in that, um, just like in passing as like a random (laughs) topic of conversation, and I felt that was almost more callous, like the way it was just like casually mentioned, like, isn't that terrible? And I'm like, why did you have to do that? Why did it? Why are you bringing in stuff from the news now? Like, how random. It was really strange. 
I guess it was around that time when maybe the book was published or like just after, but mm. mm-hmm. yeah, I think the one, this one is a bit more recently published. This one called When We Were Lost. I found it, I churned through it like within a couple of days because it was quite short bite-sized chapters. Like you could go through a chapter in kind of like five minutes. Okay. So I think it wasn't a long read. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a good read. Oh, that's good. Yeah. What have you been reading? There's a little bit of a story behind the book that I'm reading. So I'll briefly go into that. So I think I mentioned it in my blog post, but a couple of my friends and I are attempting to watch every movie that's ever been made since we've been born. So it's quite a challenge. Um, It's really interesting as well, because we've been watching a whole bunch of obscure movies. Um, (laughs) And well, the only constraints we have on it is that it has to have had a theatrical release. So that doesn't take up that many, but it removes all the weird telly features and stuff like that and TV movies and Hallmark movies and stuff. Yeah. So uh, we started in November 1988 and I think we've done like, I don't know, 15, 16 movies maybe. And we're somewhere in the middle of November. Anyway, so we're watching one. We never look up what the movie's about before we watch it. So we started watching a movie called The Chocolate Wars. We're like, what the hell is this movie the chocolate war is going to be about like never heard of this how strange <laughs> um so anyway so watch that we didn't like it at all we gave it one of the worst ratings of movies we have watched but it was said it was based on a book and I was like oh interesting okay maybe the book's better so cue me going to the library to get out the book the chocolate war by Robert Cormier and upon looking it up it is apparently one of the best YA novels of all time. It's also one of the oh. most banned books of all time. Interesting. Um, yeah. And the movie has done a terrible job at trying to turn it into a, uh, turn the book into a movie. I thought I'd just read the blurb from Goodreads and then I kind of just talk a bit about it after that. So it says, Jerry Renault ponders the question on the poster in his locker. Do I dare disturb the universe? Refusing to sell chocolates in the annual Trinity School fundraiser may not seem like a radical thing to do, but when Jerry challenges a secret school society called the Vigils, his defined act turns into an all-out war. Now the only question is, who will survive? (laughs) It's like this weird, it's set in this, this Catholic school for boys that has a secret school society which like runs everything on the down low and gives people all these, uh, they call them assignments, and pretty much forces everyone in the school to carry out these assignments or else risk being ostracized by everybody. So this kid is given the assignment to not sell chocolates in the school chocolate sale, <laughs> which is a massive deal. Like they, it's a, it's a big deal. So everyone else is saying like, we sold 10 today. We sold like eight today. And he has to not sell for 10 days. So he says like, none, none, none. And then the, you know, the teachers get all mad and everything. And then after his 10 days are up, he's like, but why am I selling the chocolates? And then refuses to participate. And then he gets, (laughs) imagine what happens, like bullied and whatnot. Anyways, it gets, gets very dark very quickly. And I can also see why it was banned. I was going to ask you about that. It's incredibly, it's quite explicit. 
And when I realized that it's about a secret school society that bullies people and runs like this really weird, like underground initiation thing, I was like, I can see why maybe they don't want teenagers reading this book and then having ideas about making these secret societies in their school. So I can see why they banned it, but the message in it is very good. So yeah, I would recommend, I would not recommend the movie. It's not done well. And half the time we were spent asking each other, why are we selling chocolates? Why is this movie about selling chocolates? (laughs) But it has quite a good story about the, the concept of, you know, fighting back against the man and what happens when you try. Anyways, I would recommend. Okay. All right. With that (laughs) drawn to a close, we still have some spots left on our author spotlight section. So if you would like to come on our show and chat to us, then head over to lindersoncreations.com and under the podcast tab on the menu, you will find a link to be featured on Dear Writer. So next time on Dear Writer, it's our main podcast where we are going to go to part two of our journey to publication with you all, where we're going to be talking about self-publishing, the benefits, the drawbacks, and why that's an avenue we've decided to go down. So if you'd like to know more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations. And if you enjoy the show, then please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Um, Tell your friends about us. We'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm -hmm.